I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64. As we are looking at this subject, what is man? We could certainly start with Genesis, uh, and there's a lot to be said there of mankind, that we are made in the image, as I've said before, uh, it is uh, dealing with the capacity to relate with and know God. When he made us, he made us in his image, which is the image of Jesus Christ. That was his design. But with that, he gave permission, a capacity to disobey. And so at the very beginning, mankind and Adam had the ability to sin or not sin. That permission was granted to him. He he had uh, somewhat the, the freedom of being God's son on probation for a little while to see what would happen. And so when Adam sinned and Eve sinned together, all those who would come through them were fundamentally altered. Now we no longer reflect the image of Christ but we're frustrated, we're born frustrated. So today, when I look at mankind, and then when the Bible describes mankind today, it describes every single one of us with the ability to sin. But we no longer have the ability to not sin. We're all cursed in that way. And we are responsible morally before God. But for those who are believers, something fundamentally changes with the Spirit of God coming in, changing our motivations and our heart so that we are still able to sin, but now we are grace-enabled to refuse sin. That sounds maybe simplistic, and maybe I'm not quite speaking to the truth of things, but perhaps by the end of it you can see where I'm going with this and why that is the case. Uh, So Isaiah chapter 64 begins this chapter uh, with this plea for God to do something in their society. They're seeking God's restoration. You notice how it says in, in verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. There's this plea for God to do something in their nation, to judge the sinners, to judge the ones that have oppressed their city and their country. Uh, it says, When fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known, to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence, and basically, God, do this again. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, and those who remember you in your ways, behold, you are angry, and we sinned, and in our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? That's the question that's being asked. Shall we be saved? In other words, God, I long for you to restore our society. You restore the nation of, of, of Judah back to your place. Restore the city of Jerusalem. And so it's, it's kind of a symbol now today of God's people. Will you restore God's people? Will you save us today? Can you do a work? And the sad reality is we get to the text we're going to focus on, verse 6 and 7. The answer is, no, not as it is, not as it is. 
And so I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this portion together, that which we're going to be focusing on, beginning with verse 6 and 7. The question, shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. You'll read the next few verses here. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, we are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. You may be seated. This is probably not a passage you would uh, memorize. (laughs) Probably not one that you would uh, put up on the wall, find a lot of hope in. It's just this kind of a woeful plea. It it talks about the anger of God, and we don't like an angry God. Y'all remember if you had to do like ninth grade or middle school uh, literature, one of the things you talked about was American literature. And inevitably, I remember in ninth grade year, uh, we let, read excerpts of The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. Um, y'all read that? Any of you? You may not remember. <laughs> uh, you probably did. Uh, and so it was this, this sermon that just talked about God just, you know, at, at a second can just dissolve your being and, and be brought into hell. And it's this line of, of uh, that God is holding you as a, on a web that the, the fire, eternal fires is just licking up on it. And, and I remember my teacher just being angry as he presented this and had these childhood memories of uh, fire and brimstone preachers and how he was scared listening to them. And he saw this sermon as being that uh, again. And, uh, and so I had all this anger. So we don't like angry gods. But that's exactly what Scripture teaches, and it's for our own benefit that that is the case, that there is justice, and that there is love, and they all come hand in hand with the anger of God. Why is God angry? What's going on? And the simple point of this is, as we read verse 6 and 7, says, yes, man is made in God's image, but the simple truth about man is, is that first man's sin is total. Man's sin is total. As we read this, it says, we have all become like one who is unclean. So what do we mean that man's sin is total? What I'm, I'm not saying is that every single one of us have gone to the furthest ends of our sin. All right? That's not what we mean by that, but what we do mean when I present this to you is that every bit of you is impacted by sin. Every bit of us is impacted in some degree by this sin, okay? Uh, And so when it says we all have sinned, or, or we all have become like one 
who is unclean. There is no one that's exempt from this. And so we are all infected. We all, the New Living Translation says, we are all infected and impure with sin. Uh, so when we think about sin, there's basically a couple types of sin. There is the, the sin of ignorance, all right, the sin of ignorance. In other words, uh, I'm living my life, I'm, I'm doing what I, you know, what I always do, and uh, read the Word of God, and oh my goodness, you mean covenanting is not what God wants? That is a sin that is disobeying. I, I can't desire what other people, so there's the sin of ignorance where we read the Word of God and brings to light how we are discordant with God, how we are not walking in the, in the light of who God is. You need to understand that there's sin that you know about because God's made it known to you in your life. But there's going to come a time in your life, if you keep living and you keep searching about who God is, where God's going to reveal whole tracks of your life that you have been up to now ignorant about. That is involving sin. God is constantly uncovering motivations of our life. He doesn't reveal all of who you are right now because we could not mentally, emotionally deal with it. All right, so just something to, to consider as we think about this. Um, You've got to be careful when we read the Bible. It brings out sin, and it will wreck you when you read it. I'm being a little sarcastic when I say that. Uh, I encourage you to read the Bible, please. Uh, but understand, it's going to wreck you when it reveals sin in your life. So there's that, the sin of ignorance, uh, that where it basically acts like a, an x-ray revealing things to us. But then there's another sin, that's the sin of presumption. All right, the sin of presumption is those things you know you ought not to do. But does that stop you from doing it? No. You go ahead and you do it anyway, knowing that it's a sin. And so I've got for you Psalm 19, verse 12 and 13 there, because there's a a very, uh, well, enlightening aspect of this, of this presumptuous sin those things that we know are wrong but we do them anyway and so this powerful prayer uh david is is praying and he's acknowledging the role of the word of god in his life uh and how god uses it in his life but then at the end psalm 19 he has this statement who can discern his errors declare me innocent from hidden faults Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. When he says, let them not have dominion over me, what David is acknowledging and the word of God is stating is this presumptuous sin is addictive. It can dominate you. It can take over you. Did you know that presumptuous sin is addictive? There's this interesting um, little natural illustration I'll bring to you that's found in the coast, the western coast of Costa Rica, Pacific Coast. Uh, there's these, these spiders there. Uh, kind of, uh, they make these beautiful orb webs, you know, basically kind of a harmless, very beautiful, brightly colored uh, orchard spider. But they're having a hard time keeping them alive because it's being bit by this peculiar type of wasp. It's about a three-quarters inch wasp, black eyes, dark violet wings on it, um, and has orange legs. 
And so when this wasp comes, what it does, the female uh, wasp will stab the spider with its stinger. And uh, it sends out this chemical that basically paralyzes the spider. It's just stuck there. And while it's paralyzed, it then uh, puts uh, in the abdomen of the spider an egg. Deposits this little egg in the abdomen of the spider. And it flies away. And the spider wakes up from its paralysis and thinks, whew, that was a close one. Unknown is that this egg is growing inside the abdomen of this spider. And one of the amazing things that happens is as this abdomen grows up into the larvae, it starts to cut little holes in the cuticle of the spider, sucking the blood. But then with this, sends a chemical into the brain of this spider, where normally the spider makes this uh, beautiful orb web, it starts going back and forth, spinning its webbing, so that it makes a strong web, not for any survival purposes of the spider, but basically the mind of the spider has been taken control by the larvae of the wasp, so that this web is perfectly made to support the larvae as it grows. And so in just a couple of days, a fat, round wasp larvae is wrapped around the spider, supported by the webbing of the spider's making, oblivious to the fact that the larvae is continuing to feed on its blood. And so in a couple of weeks, it's taken full control, and there's nothing left but a dead spider half-starved, drops the withered spider into the undergrowth, and there the species carries on. I just want to present to you, that's sin. Sin, you know, we think, you know, I'm going to disobey God in this matter. It's a private thing. It's only going on in my mind, in my heart. It doesn't hurt one person. David said, let not these presumptuous sins have dominion over me. What you don't know is that the sin continues to host on your soul, on your mind, on your heart. And you think, well, you know, well, that wasn't so bad. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And whole patterns of thinking have been changed manipulated where we are no longer living for the glory of god but now living for the glory of ourself and life is constructed so that our self is central but what we don't realize is there's going to be an a judgment day when the web's taken down and all that will be left of our soul is starved matter starving for the glory of god I was reading an article, and it was talking about um, pornography. That the subset culture of evangelicals are the most susceptible 
to pornography. This is not written by a Christian. It's just analysis of society. Why? Because it's taboo. It's taboo. You can't talk about it. You can't discuss it. And so the taboo aspect of it starts to feed on our soul and our mind. Where the law comes in and says, thou shalt not, we do it anyway. And it, our soul feeds on taboo things. And all the while we're thinking, well, it's no big deal. It's changing the core of who we are. And studies have shown that it's actually changing how we think and our thought patterns. And that's just pornography. I think you can apply that across the board with many sins. And so what I'm saying, that men's sin is total, that it's going to impact us on the inside out. So not just in the actions, but in the motivations of our life, where we're no longer thinking about God's glory and the world that he made and the greatness of who he is, that we are now consumed with the idea of what is this world in it for me. And we start shaping our view of reality that's not real at all. And every once in a while, major collisions happen. Like you get cancer and you think, well, that, you know, that wasn't supposed to happen because, you know, God, I did all the right things. And, and that was your end of the deal was to give me a good life as I define good life. And so God serves your dream. And that's just not reality. And so man's sin is total. But listen, as we keep on reading this, and notice what he says. He says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And so I read the first part of this book, Isaiah chapter 1. And uh, I was reading, uh, and it says verse 13, 14, 15 in Isaiah 1. God's saying to him, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon, Sabbath, and all the callings of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So I'm reading this and I realize... The persons of the group of people that this is written to are religious people. They're doing all the Jewish holidays. They're going to the new moons and the feasts and, and they're having the prayers and they're having the sacrifices. But God is saying, it is wearisome to me. Why is it wearisome? Because they're trying to do these righteous deeds to try to cover up for their sin. <laughs> it's amazing how many church things we'll do try to mask disobedience in our heart? God's telling us something to do. We don't want to do it. Maybe, maybe I'll join the choir. <laughs> maybe I'll give a little bit more. Or, you know, I'll, I'll do that work for that church. I'll do this work for the family. And maybe somehow God's going to be okay with the fact that I'm disobeying Him. To obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, the, the words here, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The word filthy rags is dealing with menstrual cycles. To get the idea of what's going on here. See, our tendency is to cover up these things. But they don't work. Covering up. I, I was talking with our kids. We were, we were having a little discussion on, on mankind and sin and uh, how sin is passed on and 
uh, had the question. So uh, what, what are some things we didn't have to teach you or no one really had to teach you? And, then, you know, they said, well, we, no one's taught us how to lie and all these things. And I said, yeah, you know, what about uh, when I tell y'all to eat some food and you don't like the food? It's amazing how every single one of them, we got four of them, and every single one of them have found a way to try to sneak not eating that food. I mean, there's the napkin bit, they're throwing it on the floor, you know, there's kind of, he's feeding it off to the dog, and, you know, Kana, our youngest one, we just caught him, he, he kind of took it and just kind of slyly threw it in the trash can, you know, and I was like, okay, yeah, I saw that. Um, and so then the girls were debating on whether they did it better than the boys, um, you know, I was like, well, you know, we did it better than them, and so I was like, okay, well, that's good, you know. <laughs> um, so it's this, this thing of, we have this natural tendency of hiding our sin, right? And we go all the way back to Adam and Eve. We read that story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. They, they saw that there was, they were naked. They saw their shame. And so they covered themselves up with, with fig leaves. Uh, and it's like, okay, we're all good. We're going to cover ourselves up like nothing's happened and thinking that maybe the fig leaves will suffice. And now, since that time, we've gone much more sophisticated than fig leaves. Whether it's the, the Louis Vuitton or the stylist clothing, or whether it's the emotional strat- strategies or get folks laughing and maybe they won't notice. And we've got all kinds of strategies to try to cover up for our inadequacies. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 1 John 1, 8, 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's got to start with, okay, I'm not going to cover it up anymore. Usually the best we can do is to act so it seems we're not sinning. That's called dating. <laughs> right? Put our best face forward. I'm going to pretend like I'm not as bad as I really am, and maybe they'll like me enough to marry me. <laughs> um, but it's also called any number of things. It's our general lifestyle. We try to act like Christian life. Listen, Christian life is not the development of an acting ability. And I think so many times in church, that's it. Okay, we're going to pretend like we're not sinners. So we'll be shocked when there is sin. Because, you know, after all, we don't sin. Christian life, church life, is not the development of that. We could seem loving, but it's not the same thing as being loving, is it? It's interesting, the words and phrases we use... When we're trying to pin the fault on others or on ourselves, we'll say things like, I just blew up. I just, I just exploded. I broke down. I just lost my head. So those are all, I sinned. I wanted to kill them. <laughs> all right? I have murderous thoughts in my head. No, I, I just blew up. Um, I will say, you know, she really just gets under my skin. My blood was boiling. I was beside myself. He turns me on. He turns me off. He burns me up. He turns me cold. I am fed up. 
or will tend to say, you know, I might have been off base, but I've got some good points about me. Haven't I been faithful in other areas? Haven't I worked hard at being a good husband? Don't I get some good points somewhere? Lord, I'm mad and angry and bullheaded. But who wouldn't be with a spouse like that? The boss was yelling, man. He just didn't have his facts straight. The kids kept fighting and you drove me to it. I just haven't been getting enough sleep. Well, you understand, I, I grew up in a bad neighborhood. I just haven't been feeling well lately. Let me tell you about the problems my family had. Maybe you understand then why I sin the way I do. See, my parents just didn't love me. The parents didn't understand me. The parents weren't there for me. That's why I, I sin. Or we may say to the Lord, Lord, this is the way I am, but you know how hard I've tried to serve you. All these are various ways. Of course, my favorite one, well, you understand I'm Scottish. <laughs> I can get away with that, right? Last name's Scott, right? <sighs> but when it's all said and done, we're sinning. We just got all kinds of phrases to put it on other people why it's their fault. You know what? When it's said and done, you grew up in a bad neighborhood. Maybe you had no parents or you didn't have parents. So how do you explain when people sin that do have parents? Or they do have good parents? Or they grew up wealthy? Well, then the problem is, uh, well, that's the problem. They had wealth. You know? Too much. Our solution is futile. When we start saying, hey, you know what? Let me just follow whatever rules you give me. God sees these rules. Celebrating the new moons, the feast days, and uh, the Jewish law. They're wearisome to me. Your righteousness is as filthy rags to me. You see, when we realize that the problem is our pride. The problem is that we put the world and made it around us. The solution then isn't to come to God and say, God, be impressed with my good things. Even if it's done at Green Pines Baptist Church. Even if they're Baptist things. Christian things. If the motivation is I'm doing Christian things so that God is impressed with me. God sees it and says they're as filthy rags. You see, the motive matters. There's some folks here, they just are serving people, aren't they? They'll, they'll do anything, it seems. Anything. Well, surely they're going to get out. And we'll have this statement, if anyone's going to go to heaven, they are. You know what that statement is always implying? They live such a good life. They've got to be in heaven. It doesn't work that way. You see, sometimes we can be driven to do good things and sacrifice, and we never say no to anybody because we need them to like us. We need them to love us. Why? So that my circle, my world is justified. You see how that also is driven by self-love? All our filthy rags, are, are our righteousness are as filthy rags, the polluted garments. Man's 
Sin is total. And the sad thing is our solution is futile. We can't do anything about it. It's one of the worst things, isn't it, when someone has something against you and you can't do anything to fix it? It's totally in their hands. It's totally in God's hands. And so therefore, we read it says we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Man's sin is fatal. It's just a matter of time. We're going to fade. So the inevitable result of sin in our life is death. Death being we are separated from God the Father and God is the eternal one. So when you're separated from the eternal one, the life-giving source of all life, it's just a matter of time before your heart catches up with your spirit. It is a real picture of the flower that is cut. They look good and smell good for a little while. But every day it fades a little bit more. That's the human life that is cut from the life-giving spirit of God. We look pretty, but it's just a matter of time. Man's sin is fatal. So therefore, we keep on reading, there is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you've hidden your face from us, have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Therefore, man's soul is in trouble. There are consequences. There are consequences for sin. He's hidden his face from us. We're consumed because of our iniquities. It's as we have no appetite for God. Our, our soul no longer longs for, these, for who God is. It's because we filled ourselves with the dregs of this world. I remember one time when we were just finished college, we had a celebration, went to a steak place, and I was so hungry. And this steak place gave buckets of peanuts for free. I was a college student. Sacrifice for the steak, and I had no appetite because I was totally full of peanuts. The world is offering you buckets of free peanuts. Here, fill up with this. Fill up with this. Find your worth here. Find satisfaction here. But God is saying, I made you for something better than that. To find satisfaction in the life-giving force. It's like Jesus saying to the Samaritan woman who's trying to find a relationship in men who they always disappoint. And so she gets angry with them and has like five husbands or five men. And the one, one that she was with then wasn't her husband. And so Jesus says to this woman, I can give you living water. And if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. Don't get satisfied with peanuts. God's giving us something more. But our soul is in trouble and we have no appetite for God because we keep on looking to ourselves and trying to find the created world to satisfy ourselves. Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What does that mean? The only way we have any hope is if God does something. Sparks our spirit to see our sin and to see what he has to offer for us. 
John 3.19, Jesus said, This is the condemnation, that light has come to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So, where's the hope? <laughs> so I keep on reading that, and it says verse 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please, Lord, we are your people. Remember not our sins forever. How does God's anger for our sin get abated? Is it because he's a relativistic God? It's like, well, you know, it's not all that bad. There's people worse. <laughs> I'm not, you know, you're not nearly as bad a sinner as that person. So, you know, is that how his anger is abated? Does that work for you? Well, I guess you could have done something worse for me. And it's not by diminishing it. It's not by saying, well, you know, it's no big deal. Listen, if someone rams into your car, most of us would say, okay, yeah, I can forgive you, but, uh, you know, someone's going to pay the price. I want it to be you. <laughs> if it's not you, I guess it's the insurance company, which means me. Someone's got to pay the price. See, if we even do that with our cars, how much more will God do with his glory? Someone's got to pay the price. He can't just diminish it. How does God's anger get abated? Remember not iniquity forever. You know, it's, I love how this section, this, ser- this sermon that Isaiah is preaching ends. If you go to 65. Verse 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. He says, you know what? This is the state of how you are now, but I'm going to make you new. You're not going to be someone fading like a flower. I've got a recreation in mind. You notice describing that, verse 25, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. God is making a day where sin will not reign, will not be a part of you. But you know what? Isaiah gives the answer. We're going to talk about that more next week, but I can't leave you there. I can't leave you hanging. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid upon him, referring to the Messiah to come, the servant to come, the iniquity of us all. How does God's anger get abated? By letting his anger have full release. You know that in your relationships, don't you? The ones you really love? The ones you really love and they really hurt you? You don't just diminish it, do you? Somewhere, sometime, it's going to blow. And the anger is going to be released. And you're going to say, when you did that, I was so angry. And this is how I felt. And you're going to just go through 
And when it's all said and done, you're going to say, but I love you still. And the sweetest love comes when anger is released. Here's the thing. None of us could abide God's anger being directed at us except for God himself. The servant came, took the object of all of God's anger and wrath for my sin. And Jesus received it all. And Jesus said, it is finished. And he drank the dreads of God's wrath for our sin. So those who will say, I want that Jesus, I want him, I don't want to deal with God's anger on my own, I need help. Those who say, I need help, those who say, I'm bankrupt in spirit, I need help, those God gives his Holy Spirit, which is the beginning of a recreation that one day will be realized in Isaiah 65 will be true for those of us when he says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. David says, Lord, let not those presumptuous sins have dominion over me. I want Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And God the Father says, I remember them no more. (laughs) Marvelous, wonderful is our Savior. And before you can know God's love and His grace, you're going to have to come a little bit with the face of God's anger to understand what His love is. I invite you this morning to stop covering up. Just stop pretending like you're more than you are. I'm saying, be humble before God it's okay he won't reject you let's pray